Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the views from the 573 podcast. Hope y'all are doing well on this Friday as we head into into the weekend. It's been a it's been a few days since we've done a pod. Of course, that's with us posting early last week. Uh, hopefully, next week we'll try to get back on schedule and post around usually Wednesday or Thursday and get back to normally scheduled programming. But uh, we're coming to you here on Friday, and there's a lot to talk about. NBA playoffs in full swing with the Miami Heat advancing last night with Phoenix going to play a Game 7 against Dallas, who forced Game 7 last night with Phoenix just looking like their feathers got ruffled last night. And we got a couple Game 6s tonight. We got Boston and Milwaukee. Milwaukee playing a closeout game at home. And same thing with Golden State. Golden State, after getting drilled by the Grizz in Game 5, go back to Golden State, Game 6 at home. Still don't know if Steve Kerr's going to be coaching in this game. Of course, he hasn't coached the last couple games because he's tested positive for COVID. So, be curious to see if he clears COVID protocols in time for tonight with uh, Mike Brown taking his place. And, uh... I gotta say, if you're pro- if you're a Kings fan, that last game doesn't encourage you at all. <laughs> but we got the playoffs in full swing. The NFL schedule was released last night. That's part of the reason why I wanted to wait to today because I wanted to talk about this as well. So we're gonna talk about that. A few other things going on around the world of sports, and got some of the NBA awards. We'll touch on that with with the NBA playoffs as well. Uh, I want to talk about Tannehill a little bit. That's price. That's something I haven't talked about. It's been a while since we've talked about it, the NFL, and uh, didn't get a proper time to talk about it with the drafts. But Tannehill made comments after the draft, and so f- feel right to talk about that n- now. And we got some NCAA stuff, NIL stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on around that, so we'll touch on that too. So. I guess without without further ado, let's get right on into the NBA playoffs. And let's start with the two games from last night. With we'll start with Philly and Miami. With Philly heading back home in a game six scenario, Harden looked like he played a pretty good game recently, and you were hoping, okay, maybe this is it. This is he's, he's flipped the switch. We're going back home. When that one forced the game seven back in Miami. And Philly looked all out of sorts last night. Danny Green went down with an unfortunate leg injury with Joel and Bede falling on him. And that's never good. That's always going to result in an injury when you get a man of Embiid's size falling down on your leg like that. So hope for the best for Danny. Hopefully he recovers. But Miami outplayed Philly last night. Harden looked lethargic. Embiid tried his best. He shot the most field goals in the first quarter that that if you look at it would be the most field goals that he shot the whole series. So he was obviously looking to get the ball in the bucket mode. And he's been banged up all this postseason with his orbital fracture, his finger I mean, he's been banged up. He's taken hard falls. He's taken a, a brunt of 
the hits for, from the Philadelphia side and Miami. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, and we're going to talk about it right now. This Miami Heat organization is a well-run organization. They know what they're doing. A lot of people count them out, probably myself included. And we look back at that bubble run that they had where they made the finals, and we think that's a little bit of a fluke. And here we are a couple years later, and we also got some turmoil from the Heat at the end of the season where Butler and Spolstra and Haslam, they're all getting into it. It's getting chipping. You're wondering, are the Heat going to be able to stay the course and make this run into the playoffs and try to get back to the finals? Well, they're one step closer. And probably that was a bit premature on on a lot of us thinking that maybe the Heat were not going to go anywhere because this organization is well run. Pat Riley knows what he's doing. Eric Spolstra knows what he's doing. And when you got uh, got a guy like Jimmy Butler, who's a no-nonsense type of guy that is a hard worker, good leader, then that's going to bleed into the whole team as well. As you're seeing guys like Oladipo off of his injury-reeled pass contributing here. Lowry isn't playing right now. And you got guys like Max Strauss, Vincent coming in there and making plays. Bam's looking good. And so the Heat, they're moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. And it's just a testament to how well run that organization is and the type of DNA that they got in that team. It's a championship, well-run organization that's got some blue-collar DNA to them. Philly, on the other hand, you make this trade for James Harden in February. And Daryl Morey... Really excited about bringing his guy in here, and hope and hopefully that he and Embiid are going to be that one-two combo that's going to help lead Philly back to the Eastern Conference Finals in several years and lead them back to the NBA Finals. You can't get games like you did last night from James Harden, or for a couple games in the series, you can't. And yesterday was the anniversary of, if you remember a few years ago, that that crap loss that he took at Houston against San Antonio where he just sucked, to put it bluntly enough. And the Spurs won, and that was the end of the Rockets for that postseason run. This same type of Harden can't keep on showing up. And Harden's in his 30s now. That's something to be concerned about. He's not the same type of player that he used to be back in his Houston days. It seems like that player is gone and is a distant memory. And if you're Philly, you're in a pickle right now because, of course, Harden's going to opt into this $47 million player option that he's got next year. So you know he's going to opt into that. The question is, do you want to give him a four-year Supermax extension after that? Because if you look at it, and add it up. It's five years, $270 million for James Harden, who, let's check out how exactly old James Harden is. It's going to go well into his mid-30s. And if Harden's having these type of perform- performances now at 32, imagine what it's going to be like when he's around 35, 36, 37. You know, start, I think he's starting to show a little bit of aggression, regression here with how Harden has played. 
And you've seen glimpses of old Harden. But you don't see old Harden enough. And that's what Philly needs. And that's where Philly kind of got screwed here. Is that despite Joel Embiid having an awesome season. An MVP type season. He hasn't gotten help from a lot of players here recently. Ben Simmons been a no-show. James Harden has been has been a no-show in some games. At least James Harden has played. But you still think with Harden's impact, with his pedigree, that he would show up and still hasn't. It's still a narrative with Harden playoff games and him not showing up. That's still a thing. And last night didn't help it at all. So Philly's going home. And Miami's moving on to the East Finals. Let's talk about Phoenix and Dallas right quick. And Dallas extending the series to a Game 7. In which they thoroughly outplayed the Phoenix Suns last night. And Chris Paul's had a couple iffy games here recently course you had the one game in Dallas where you had the fan incident with his family on Sunday which I, I I hate that we're seeing more of this stuff happening and seeing these fans feel like maybe they can be a little bit more entitled to do stuff like this and feel like hey I'm paying good money for this um but Dallas coming back and winning game six in the way they did I mean, if you look at the series, the home team has always won. So, I guess if you're Phoenix, if you're Phoenix fans, you got to feel pretty good with Game 7 in your building and the home team has won every game. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's fine with us. We'll take it. But don't be surprised if Dallas somehow pulls off an upset and surprises everybody and knocks off Phoenix, who has been the clear team that everybody's looked at as like, that team's going to make the finals. That team's going to come out the West. And now Dallas has them on the ropes. But again, I still think Phoenix, the home court thing, I think is a thing. And Phoenix is the better team. So I think Phoenix wraps us up at home game seven. I do think Phoenix does need to stop relying on CP3 a little bit too much. The guys getting up there in age, it's time to start relying on guys like Aiden and Booker. Those are your two stars. Those are your future. Those guys are going to be the one that's going to be there long term, far beyond CP3. So we'll have to see if something like that transpires where they really take a hold and like, hey, they're only going to go as far as Booker and Aiden are going to take them and not CP3. So moving on to the two games tonight. We got we got Boston, Milwaukee. And boy, what a game five we had on Wednesday night. And I mean, like crap. Giannis just putting up another awesome performance in a game where they really needed it. No, Chris Milton still again. Giannis is doing everything. This guy is making plays while his head, the side of his head, is bleeding. Which, I mean, that that shows you how tough and how much of a fierce competitor this guy really is. 
but he needs some help. He needs some help from all the guys around him on that Milwaukee team. And they got him in a couple big ways. Bobby Portis made a couple big plays. You got Pat Compton making a couple big plays. And Drew Holiday making the biggest plays of that game without question. And hitting a big-time three there late. Giannis hit a big-time three there late. That was huge for him. But Drew makes one there late. Marcus Smart goes to the basket. He gets a block on him. He gets the ball. And as he's heading out of bounds, throws it off of Marcus Smart. Heady play there by Drew Holiday. And then, of course, Giannis goes to the free throw line. He misses one. Portis gets the rebound, which Boston should have gotten. He tosses in. And Milwaukee is up one. Then we get the play that is going to define that game for a long time. Is with that ending where Drew Holiday picks Marcus Smart. Again, Holiday's one of the... There's a heady play. They could have gone calling for a foul. They got the ball at the right moment where it wasn't a foul. And made... Really it has really good awareness and made a really good play there where they needed it. And Jackson Tatum was running wide open. It would have been a whole lot of time, but he was open. And he had a couple Milwaukee guys fall down, but they were looking to trap Marcus Smart too. So just an awesome game from Boston and Milwaukee. That series has been electrifying where you're getting awesome performances, awesome plays each and every game. And we'll see if game six holds the same fun things in store for us tonight. Now in Golden State and Memphis to wrap the whole NBA playoff stuff up. Of course, game number four, no John Morant for the Grizzlies. If you know, you know, the record without Ja has been pretty good for the Grizz. 20-5 20-5 during the regular season. Defenses look better. Ball movements look better. Offense in general has looked better. Game four, kind of a slug it out game from both teams. Nobody can make a thing. Golden State claims the lead late in the game, and they win game four. So they head to Memphis. Game five, Steph is saying, whoop that trick. That's going to be our game plan. And, well, they weren't the Warriors weren't the one that whooped that trick in Game 5. Uh, Memphis, I mean, my goodness. As much as a 55-point lead in that game, they held. You got awesome performances from Tyus Jones, Jaron Jackson, Steven Adams. Kyle Anderson's made a couple big plays. Zaire Williams, man, I love this rookie. I think a lot of Grizzly fans really like the potential of this rookie, and they're putting a lot of trust into him. And I'm really excited to see where his development's going to go. Dylan Brooks, after the crap he's taken from a lot of people since Game 4, his performance there, he made a couple big-time plays, and he played some big-time defense there. And if you look at Steph's stats, we're not all that good in Game 5. So he had a lot of big-time performances from guys stepping up without Ja. And that's been the team the whole season when he hasn't been on the floor. That's 
than the MO right there. And Golden State, they wave the white flag in the middle of the third. The whole crowd is hyped up. And now you're in a now you're in a place where you know, don't count out Memphis just yet in game six. So we'll see what Golden State comes out with in game six tonight. There might not be any Otto Porter form, which is going to hurt because he's been a really key player here in this series for them. Has made a couple big time shots, especially in some in a couple of their home games this series. So not having him could really hurt. You don't have a lot of big guys as is on that roster, and so you might have to start playing somebody like Vigenza, who we got who got to see his first action of the series on on Wednesday. So, we'll see what happens with Game 6 tonight. Uh, but, as a Grizzly fan, I mean, I think there's no way they want to lose that at home. There's a lot of pride there. They have a lot of pride. And, uh, if that's the last home game of the season, what a, what a way to end the home season on. But, there's a lot of things that I like going forward and maybe potentially seeing in Game 6. The size factor, I think, is finally coming to play. We wonder if that was going to come into play. It looks like it has. Steven Adams making plays. Jaron Jackson. I love aggressive Jaron Jackson. If we get this type of guy who doesn't foul as much, watch out, NBA. Because that's going to be a scary sight. If you get John staying on this trajectory that he's on, and you get Jaron Jackson being more aggressive not fouling as much, and you're seeing the type of defense performances he's put up this year, be on the lookout because that's going to that's gonna be something to watch. And, I mean, they what, what else can I say? They've, they've been pounding the boards as well. This is a team that's pounded the boards all season long. Golden State has gotten the rebound advantage over them in the first few games. We'll see what happens in game six. I'm giving my guys a shot, but we'll see. If there's going to be a game seven, it's going to be a wild game seven in Memphis. That would be for sure. And uh, we'll see if Steve Kerr is going to be back. I still don't think there's any word on if he's going to be coaching tonight. So we'll have to see. Maybe that's a little bit of a factor as well because you got Mike Brown over there coaching. Not the normal head coach. The Kings are probably alarmed at the, <laughs> the Game 5 performance. Kind of, uh, We're kind of put on notice after what happened in Game 4, but it's like, okay. And then they see get the Game 5 stuff, like, oh, no, oh, boy. So, uh, it looks like Mike Brown with that last game fits right into the Kings culture. Had to make that jab. So, sticking with the NBA real quick, some awards have been announced. Monty Williams, Coach of the Year, well-deserved with what he's done with this Phoenix team, not only this year, but last year. He's been really good for this team. So that's well-deserved. Nikola Jokic winning the MVP. And if I remember right, he they filmed his announcement video uh, somewhere ridiculous. He was in Serbia, yet yeah, at his horse stable in Serbia, except his MVP award. So that's something you don't see every day if you're a fan of sports is somebody accepting 
a prestigious award like that and uh <laughs> like that so kind of wild and then more recently Zach Kleinman the GM of the Grizzlies one executive of the year the youngest person to win that at age 33 kind of makes me feel weird about it but you know I'll allow it but 33 years old winning executive of the year with the job he's done I mean, he could have st- stood pat last year after, you know, decent run to get into the playoffs, make the play in, and compete against the Jazz last year. But I was like, let's make some moves, let's go out and get better. And they did that, got the two seed this year, one of the best teams in the league. So congrats to them, hats off to him. And so that's going to do it for the NBA. Really excited about these game sixes tonight, and uh, we'll see. We'll probably talk a little bit about the conference finals next week, as I'm sure by this time ne- next week, by Wednesday or Thursday, they'll be set. So, should be fun. Now, let's move on to the NFL, and let's talk about, you know, let's talk about Tannehill real quick before we get into the NFL schedule, because that's been something. It's been on my mind a little bit. Of course, the lasting memory of Tannehill was that game against Cincinnati in the playoffs. Three interceptions. Not what you want when you're the number one seed. You're hosting a divisional playoff game at home. Just a recipe to make it, make it not look very good. And so... Tannehill, that last game, left a bad taste in every Titans fan's mouth. And, of course, in the draft, they make the trade up. They get Malik Willis. And, see, here's one thing. Malik Willis is not going to win this job this year. All right? Let's just throw that out out the window, okay? It's it's not going to happen unless, you know, he just somehow comes out of the blue no pun intended with the Titans two-tone blue there, but he just comes out of the blue and somehow wins this job. Be great. It says that Titans got a really good pick in the third round and got their franchise quarterback there. But I don't I think it's a long shot to happen. I think maybe even more so than that. Whatever's whatever's else there is besides a long shot beyond that that's probably this so Tannehill is definitely the starting quarterback uh Willis is not going to take a shot this year might have a good shot at next year I think for sure with the way Tannehill's contract is structured but his comments with him coming back and him talking about where he was what type of place in his mind, he was at after the Bengals loss and him needing to talk it out, get therapy, all that stuff. And, of course, he talked about the AJ trade. But the, his comments about Malik Willis, about him not necessarily being there to be a mentor for him. I mean, it sounds harsh. But is he wrong? He's not there to be a mentor. He's there to be the starting quarterback. And for for people saying, 
It's insecurities, confidence. You know, it's shaking. They've taken a quarterback. Listen, the guy is there to be the starting quarterback of the Tennessee Titans to win games. And one thing that's been cut out is, like, hey, if he learns something from me, great. And usually, in thinking about it, isn't that usually the way that we kind of go about life is that, you know, I know one thing that's been said about with parents teaching their kids stuff is that usually a good indicator of where your kid's got certain things from is by them watching their parents where like yeah sure like the parents can tell the kids stuff but it you know the show don't tell type of thing where you show them how to do stuff and you lead by your actions not by your words and I think that's kind of what Tannehill's getting at here think Malik is going to learn a lot of things from Tannehill. He's going to watch his habits. Watch when he comes in for OTAs or training camp, practice. How's this work ethic? How much film is he consuming each week before a game? How many reps is he trying to get in? You know, and Malik, he is going to ask questions. I think he's going to ask questions. I think if you're in that type of situation and you're trying to learn a job, you ask questions, especially if that's that person holds a similar job title than you, such as Tannehill and Malik, that the person behind you, whether it's the person is older than you and maybe they're learning behind a younger person or like it is here, whether it's a young person learning behind an older person. I think the person behind that, that person that has seniority should ask questions. Should ask how certain things are done. What are we looking at here? What types of situations do we do these things in? So I don't think it's on Tannehill to be the mentor now. If, and if, listen, the me is going to not going to like that because it, he should be a mentor. He's the quarterback. He's the leader of the team. People will look to him. But I think the thing is, Tannehill, I think, is going to lead by example. And Malik is going to learn a little bit from him. He's going to ask questions. He's going to talk to him. And as he should, as as a rookie, he should go into Tannehill and ask questions. Like, hey, how do you do this? What do you see if you see this type of coverage? You know, how, what about footwork? What about throwing motion? You know, certain protections for the offensive line, you know. I think he's going to, from all, from all, you know, intents and purposes, if you look at Malik and how he's coming into the league, I, he's the type of guy that looks like he, he would ask questions, that wants to know more, that wants to soak up everything, and so he's going to ask Tannehill questions. And Tannehill will, will, will talk to him a little bit. And I don't think Tannehill was wrong for his comments at all. I think he, he was honestly kind of right. He's not there to be a mentor. That's not what he's being paid to do. 
Now, it's like Tannehill said, if he learns something from me, great. Whether that's from Malik noticing stuff that Tannehill's doing and is, and, you know, is following his example and, you know, it goes back to the whole parent thing. If kids notice a lot more of what a parent does than what they tell, tell you to. I don't know if that's just me, but it, it may just be me. It may not be anywhere else, but that they've heard this statement. But, you know, that's the way I kind of have heard that statement being brought up is in that way. But Tannehill, I think, is right. If he did say he was a mentor, I mean, people would love that. And we would have been on here. It's like, oh, that's great for Tanhill. That he's helping this young guy out. He's going to help this young guy out regardless of whether he said the right answer to that question. Whether he said, yes, I'm going to be a mentor. Or no, I'm not going to be a mentor. I think he's going to do the right thing. So, I just think it's funny how that was being made a big deal out of it. I mean, of course, you figure it's going to be made a big deal out of that, considering it's Tannehill. Last time you saw him, it was a crap performance. They drafted a guy that a lot of people thought could go in the first round. And he, and he got him saying this. So that that's a little bit of my two cents on it. So moving on, and let's talk about the NFL schedule, why don't we? Let's talk about some of the big things from the NFL schedule. And let's take a look at some of the big-time games that we have here. And we're going to start, you know, looking at week one. There's some big-time games coming to us in week one. We got a really good week one matchup with Buffalo visiting the L.A. Rams on Thursday night to kick off the season. Tom Brady going to Dallas to play the Cowboys second straight year in the opener. Russell Wilson going back to Seattle on Monday Night Football. Patrick Mahomes versus Kyler Murray. You got six in-division matchups that week two. So a really action-packed week one. And that Bills-Rams game, it honestly could be a Super Bowl preview. If we're being honest here, it could be a real genuine Super Bowl preview if you look at these teams and you look at where people are projecting them to go this year. So let's take a look at some of the other games that are going on. Of course, of course there's some others that are sprinkled out here. You got five international games here. Buccaneers in Seattle and Germany. You got Cardinals and 49ers in Mexico City. And Green Bay, one of the, the lone NFL team that has yet to play internationally, is going to play in one of the three London games. So we're, they're going to, follow, going to finally knock that streak off. We got really fun matchups, including one October 2nd with Kansas City and Tampa Bay. Then you, on October 30th, you got Aaron playing against Josh Allen. You got a late season battle of LA between the Chargers and Rams taking place on a <laughs> funny enough on New Year's Day of next year. So 
looking at some of the other big time games, uh, the Chiefs Buccaneers games week four, Chargers at Chiefs week two. That's going to be the Thursday night game that Amazon Prime is going to kick off their new team with with Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. What a game to kick that team off to. So that's going to be a fun in-division game between these two high-powered offenses. Expect some fireworks. But there's a lot of a lot of other good games. You got revenge games like Seattle, Denver, and you got yeah, Tyreek as well with him and the Chiefs. Just like all all these different matchups is uh are really interesting right now. Uh, looking at some of the bigger, biggest winners of the schedule. I mean, the NFC East got a big dub here. That all four of those teams had the easiest strength of schedule, based on how the schedule was formulated. So, if you're the NFC East, <laughs> there you go. I don't know how much it's going to help the Giants. I don't know how much it's going to help the Commanders. Still weird saying that. But, I mean, it should help. So, looking at some other other things to notice about this, uh, about the schedule is, you know, you, you got the Bills. They've really got a tough start to their, to their season. Looking at it, their first seven games, they feature five playoff things from last year with the Ravens and Dolphins on the road. So that's going to be a tough stretch for Buffalo. Who knows what they'll be in, the, in that seven-game stretch. Well, if they are the team that we think they're going to be next season, then they should still be able to go through that stretch. I mean, looking at it, week one, they got to go to the Rams. Next week, they're playing the Titans on Monday Night Football. Then you got the Dolphins, got to go to Miami. Then you got to go at Baltimore, home against the Steelers, at Kansas City. Then you got to buy, and then you're playing the Packers. So that's their first two months. Now they're, they're the next two months. It, it lines up a little bit, and here's how: at Jets, Vikings, Browns, at Lions on Thanksgiving, at Patriots, Jets, Dolphins, Bears, Bengals. Honestly, the two toughest games on that schedule are probably the Dolphins, Bengals, and we'll see how the Browns are. We still don't know if Deshaun is going to play this year or not, or if it's going to be Baker. So maybe you can add them in there. But considering that seven-game start, that's a far cry better than what you're getting in the first couple months of the season. So Buffalo has an interesting start to their season. Uh, I guess going to my Titans real quick, I mean, looking at their schedule, there's a really tough stretch that they had in the, in the middle of the season. The Giants, not too bad of an opener. 
you're playing at Buffalo on Monday Night Football, and they've gotten some good matchups with Buffalo here recently. The Raiders, of course, you're facing a team that's now got Devontae Adams. They're playing the Colts twice in October, so you're getting the Colts out of the way pretty early. And uh, I would dare say you probably need to win both those games to, to hold a somewhat of an advantage over them. But then there's a stretch starting in November, and it kind of ends, yeah, I think it kind of ends at December 5th. December 5th? Or was it December 4th? I, I may have misjudged that. I was, I was telling my, my dad yesterday, looking at the schedule, they're playing a game on their anniversary, on my uh, mom and dad's anniversary, and they're playing a game on my sister's birthday. Well, looks like I was wrong about that. But anyway, they're playing the Chiefs, November 6th at Kansas City. Then you got to go home against the Broncos. And you got a short week that week, and you got to go to Green Bay on Thursday night. Then you get 10 days off, so there's a little bit of a mini-buy there. But you got your rematch with the Bengals. And then on December 5th, you're going to Philadelphia, which is going to be the A.J. Brown revenge game, sort of, is what I think some people are wondering. Other than that, it's not too bad of a schedule. You know, you got a couple big games late at the Chargers. You got the Cowboys on Thursday Night Football. That should be fun. But, uh, I mean, if you look at the schedule, I mean, there's some really good matchups on here. There really are, and uh, really excited to see all these matchups unfold. And, of course, we're still a little bit ways away from doing NFL previews and all that stuff. We're still probably about maybe two months away, uh, but that's going to creep up on us before we know it. So, it won't be too long, but those are going to be some of the matchups that uh, hopefully we're talking about later on this year and we're predicting and talking about and going into detail about so looking forward to that there's some really good games on there some good revenge games on there and uh we'll see what happens we'll see what happens but uh i think other than that i think the only other big nfl piece of news that's out there is the jerry judy stuff that is going on it looks like he has been released right now. And I did I honestly didn't know if that story was true with Jerry Judy being arrested. I saw that and like is are we for sure about this? And sure enough, it it was for sure about uh what's going on with him. And I'm gonna try to pull up what all exactly it it was, but it was a very, very interesting thing that he got arrested for. So, he was arrested facing facing charges of criminal tampering with domestic with the domestic violence enhancer. He was released here this morning on a reconnaissance bond of. At least I hope I said that right. Reconnaissance bond of. Fifteen hundred, and it was he was released with full contact allowed between him and the woman that was involved. And 
we'll have to see as more information gets out. Um, but his attorney, um, you got the judge who said that there's not probable cause to believe that uh, there was the threat or use of any physical force against the victim. Um, and so he was charged with secondary criminal tampering with, you know, domestic violence enhancer, which is a misdemeanor. And it's so uh, apparently it solely involves property. There's no damage to property. So we'll have to see where this goes. And the Broncos, of course, they're going to be getting all this information because Jerry Judy figures that play a big part in the Broncos with Russell Wilson heading that offense now. So something to keep an eye on, see what happens with Jerry Judy. See if this is going to be nothing or if this is something to keep an eye on. So with that being said, let's move on to the final thing we'll talk a little bit about today. And that is the NCAA and the NIL. And a couple big things going on here with the NIL is, you know, we're here 10 months later since the NCAA has said, like, hey, the NIL stuff can work. There's going to be no guardrails and the floodgates open. So we're here 10 months later, nearly a full year after that. Well, now it seems like it's the NCAA and everybody's trying to work on some guidelines to crack down on the NIL, how out of control it is. And pretty much booster involvement. That's probably the keynote of all this is booster involvement with collectives and a lot of that stuff. One thing that I did find interesting is the Iowa AD did mention something about one way to help with the NIL is to if you remember years ago, you couldn't just transfer and play that play right away. You had to sit out a year and not play. And that that could hurt some, somebody that's looking to get some big money and like not yet you can't you gotta sit out a year. And so you're seeing a lot of I mean you saving is caught flack for this here in recent days with you know tampering potentially but that's been the thing to watch out for and you know Jordan Addison is another one with him looking to leave Pitt and potentially USC getting involved here and offering him a big NIL deal where he's seeing players leave the transfer get into the transfer portal transfer somebody else where somebody's going to pay him more so that's maybe not a bad idea to kind of hinder that type of, hey, I want to go here because they're offering me more money. Um, but I mean, if you look at the way the NCAA has gone, it, it looks like things have become more professionalized with the way things are going. That definitely seems like a professional type of thing to happen is like, hey, this school is offering, offering me more money. What's going to be your offer? And so, like, okay, I'll enter transfer portal. 
get my stuff together and go there, get more money, and play ball there. So maybe that picking back up with that transfer rule, like you got to sit out of here, maybe that can hinder some of that from uh, going on. But with the NIL in general, and uh, I, I've looked at a couple stuff. I'm looking at an athletic article right now talking about this. I came out this week where the Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12, a lot of their spring meetings was talking about the NCAA's impending attempt to crack down on schools' boosters using NIL payments and land recruits. And that's been a big thing. The NCAA is never one to get boosters involved, even with the NIL stuff happening. They don't want that happening. They don't want boosters to get involved. And it looks like clear NIL guidelines are being drafted by a subcommittee that includes Ohio State's athletic director, Gene Smith, and the Big East commissioner, Val Ackerman, that are expected to kind of say, hey, <laughs> NCAA, that's cute what you're trying to do of trying to force all this stuff. But no, we, we got some stuff here of our own. And uh, Gene Smith said that he helps new recommendations can be endorsed by the Division One Board of Directors next week. Uh, next week on Monday, to be exact. And, <laughs> yeah, and in this article, no intention of that, but there's a sports agent. Um, who reacted to the NCAA trying to crack down on this. And he said, quote, I think it's adorable that the NCAA is acting as if they're going to crack down on anything. And I mean, is he wrong? <laughs> is, is this guy wrong that said this? I mean, the NCAA has, of course, Mark Emmert, he's going to be stepping down here soon. The NCAA takes a long time in, in getting stuff sorted out, whether it's sanctions or investigations. It takes a long time for them to figure stuff out and for them to crack down and for sometimes for them to crack down on the right thing. So I think this reaction is actually valid. But uh, as far as the boosters and getting involved in here, you got potential lawyers getting involved here with antitrust lawsuits. And you also got the case being brought up last year with uh, Supreme Court Justice Brent Kavanaugh's concurring, concurring opinion with the NCAA versus Austin antitrust decision. And it goes back to the whole professional aspect of it in which... It's part of what he said is like, while not legally binding, um, all but invited future lawsuits challenging the NCAA's broader amateur model. If you look at the NCAA's business model, it would be flatly legal in almost any other industry in America. And so, looking at it, what could be some potential guardrails or what could the NCAA try to do? Now, if you remember, they were trying to work on stuff to try to get all sorted out for a long time now because it felt like it's inevitable. It's going to happen. But, you know, it just happened so quick. And you got all these states having these different laws around the NIL. That's 
kind of hard to get a grasp on, like, what do you do? What do you not do? Was this the, was this state allow? How's it different from this state? And one of the only specific things that were pointed out that was like, hey, just a little bit of a warning, you know, something to keep a lookout for. Uh, it reminded members to avoid pay for play and proper inducements try, uh, tied to choosing to attend a particular school. Co uh, enter the boosters. And so all these months later, and you got school-specific collectives later, and we're going to talk a little bit about a couple here later. Well, one exactly. I think one might not be a collective per se, but you got a lot of those groups that that involved a lot of boosters, a lot of donors, and the NCAA again. They don't like this booster stuff. They don't. They don't like it. They haven't liked it for a long time. And, you know, this was a risk when the, when the stuff kicked off last July. And 10 months later, it's become a problem that the NCAA doesn't like. And they probably hate they had to deal with again. And let's say the NCAA does begin to crank down on it. Well, who's it going to affect? Is it going to affect the people, the athletes that are getting paid? I don't think it should. I mean, listen, some of these athletes, whether, I mean, take a look at some of the minor sports. Like, they, they're getting paid, and they're not going to get paid as much as people playing basketball, football, or anything else. So they want to get in right now, and maybe some of them aren't good enough to go pro. And so they want to get in. On this money, get some, build that their accounts up, invest in certain stuff, and you know, say, hey, I know I'm not going to end up going pro after this. I know I'm not going to have a professional career with the sport, so I'm, I'm going to get this NIL deal, get some money out of this, save it, invest it, and then I graduate college, I get a degree, and I have all this money in the bank that I, I can do stuff with. Whether it's investing, starting a business, or stuff like that. So I don't necessarily think you should go after the athletes. I think you should probably go after schools and maybe the boosters. And that's probably the idea here. If you do go after the athletes, it looks like there might be a lot of antitrust lawsuits that might be going down if, if that happens. If that happens, I mean, I mean, crap, that's going to be some lawsuits that the NCAA are not going to want to get involved in. Because can they win those? And do they really want to be in those types of battles? I would say no. I would say the NCAA doesn't want to be involved in that type of stuff. They, they got other things for them, better things probably in their words to do than to get involved in all this. So there's a lot of crazy stuff going on with this NIL stuff with boosters, collectives, 
And they pretty much looked at everything happening and like, oh yeah, we saw a lot of this happening. Uh, going back to Ackerman, the Big East Commissioner. Like, we saw a lot of this happening pretty much, except for the collectives happening. And not envisioning a packet of donors banding together to create a big pool of money that they would spend indiscriminately and just go out and hand players all this money for all these different sports. And basically, you know, Ackerman was saying, like, hey, this is an effort to clarify that a collective run by a donor falls within the meaning of a booster. So, back to that word again. Back to booster. And back to the NCAA not liking boosters and what they've done for college sports here in recent years. And in this athletic article, they mentioned a mega booster, John Ruiz from, from Miami, who's doing stuff with their program, who pretty much openly advertised that his business had made a deal worth 800000 for a men's basketball transfer, saying all the deals have been approved by the compliance department at Miami and would withstand any challenge with the NCAA. And one thing he did say that was interesting is the biggest issue that is that the school should be able to participate in NIL. How can you be punished as a, as a mem- member of a school for the actions of those you can't really control? And he also mentioned that the collectives, back with that again, are at a greater risk of NCAA scrutiny. And you got a lot of them that are out there. Um, reading this article, there's a source that that said, uh, with one school's collective, that the NCAA stance shouldn't affect their group because their donors have no direct contact with recruits before they arrive on campus. I think that's a big thing, too. No contact before campus, before, before they get to campus, I mean... That, that was probably a thing that the NCAA didn't like is that a lot of that stuff happened before they arrived on campus. If that stuff happens on campus, I mean, what else can you do? I mean, that that was a concern is that these boosters were getting to players before they reached these campuses. And that's where the trouble started. But if you're getting to them while they're on campus, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you may have potential dollar figures thrown out here through other parties, but other than that, I mean, a lot of that stuff would take place on campus, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, like, you got collectives, like A&M has a big collective, which... I mean, if you look at their last recruiting class, I mean, shall we take a look at it? I mean, it's it was a pretty good class, but if you look at it, I think you can kind of see that the boosters did some heavy lifting in, uh, in getting this recruiting class put together. I mean, if you look at it, one, two, three, four, 
a five. Hold on. I'm looking at enrollees. I better go look at something. Look at the whole class. But, I mean, I just listed off four or five guys right there. And that's not even, you know, all the five stars that they picked up. Uh, let's bring it up. They got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight five-star recruits coming in with a, a couple other guys that have probably fluctuated between being five stars or being a high four-star that they probably shelled out a lot of money to. So, I mean, if you could say, if you're saying A&M bought that class, I mean, you're not technically wrong. But I think it's just the NCAA doesn't like all these boosters come together, donors or whatever you want to call them, come together, creating a large pool of money and say, hey, we're going to pay you this amount of money. We're going to give you this, this, and this. And just hand that money to recruits without any intent on utilizing actual NIL deals. I think that might be something the NCAA could be and on if that is the case, if that type of stuff is happening, not just maybe with AM, but with other programs that are maybe doing that. I mean, Tennessee is brought up in this athletic article as well, where they're being called a collective. I don't know if, but the organization that's Tennessee specific, uh, Spire Sports. I don't know if it's necessarily a collective. The co-founders are former agents who, in this article, says they do not hide the fact that the collective visit with the recruits during the process, which would seemingly be in direct violation of the NCAA's booster rules. But I don't know if it's necessarily a collective. It's an actual business organization, and maybe they something like that doesn't suffer repercussions from the NCAA. So, I, I don't know. The, maybe they are collective, maybe they aren't. You know, they're a business, business organization, they're a sports marketing agency, maybe they don't get the repercussions as that type of group, like a group, a, a group of collectives, you know, would get from the NCAA. But this all is very interesting to see how all this is going to go down to see if the NCAA is indeed going to crack down on all of this. If they're, if they are going to make a play for some of the things they're going for calling for infractions, looking, maybe trying to get involved with students. That's only that's treading into dangerous water if you're trying to do that to students because they're not going to like that at all. And you're going to have antitrust lawsuits being brought up. It's just a wild time we live in with the NCAA. And I agree. There should be some sort of guidelines that can kind of help things make, make things make more sense, make things more clear as to what you can't do, what you can't do. All this stuff. And so, whether NIL is good, I mean, listen, it's looking pretty good right now. Again, it goes back to that whole example I was saying. Like, 
if you're not somebody that's going to play professionally and you're getting NIL deals now, that's going to help you out in the long run. That's going to help you out years after you're done with school, after you're done playing in college. That's going to be stuff that's going to help set you up for your life after. It's going to help your bank account, first of all. What's also going to help out your future, what you plan on doing with that money. What, what are you going to invest in? You know, buying a house, you know, starting a business, all that stuff. It's going to help them set up and set themselves up with that long term. But there, I think there needs to be some guidelines. I think there's probably a lot of people, probably a lot of people within NCLA that probably agree with that. But I think with anything, you, you, see, you need guidelines of how things are going to go, how things are run, what do you do, what do you not do. But going back to what we set up at the top with this, it is it is cute that the NCAA thinks that you know they're going to be able to crack down on this without a fight. Because from what it all sounds like, people involved with all this NIL stuff, whether directly or indirectly, whether it's lawyers, sports agents, collectors, they're saying, "Hey, come on then, <laughs> let's hash this out. You know you're going to lose. Bring it." So. Yeah, a lot of big NIL stuff happening this last week. So that's where we're going to end off this week's pod, everybody. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Got a little bit... The NIL stuff is a little bit more serious. It's not more so talking about the NCAA and all the all the NCAA sports and the fun with that, but it there's a lot of legal aspects with it. Which I, I'm not too very good with. I'll be upfront about that, but I do find it all very interesting with how this NIL stuff is being handled and where certain parties want it to go and how certain parties want to change it. So that'll do it for us here, everybody. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, next week, hopefully, we'll be back on again your regularly scheduled programming around Wednesday or Thursday. And we'll continue to head on down that road each and every Wednesday and Thursday as we try to talk about what's going on in the world of sports next week. I assume we're going to be talking Eastern and Western Conference Finals. Going to be knee-deep in that and talking about the matchups and both those conferences. So that should be fun. You know what? Next week, I think we'll talk a little about the MLB. We haven't talked about the MLB in a little bit. And so I think next week we'll talk a little bit about them give an update on the standings and uh, where certain where teams are, where your local teams like Kansas City and St. Louis are. So I think next week we'll we'll dive into that a little bit. So that'll do it for me here. Be sure to go find us where you guys get your podcast, whether it's Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or whether it's on Anchors. And shout out to Anchor for sponsoring this episode as they sponsor every episode here. So shout out to them. And also quick shout out to the entertainment channel. Be sure to go check us out there. We, uh, we did a Dr. Strange pod 
last week on that channel, me, Matt, and Rebecca. And we had a lot of fun talking about that. So be sure to go check that out on that channel if you are interested. So that'll do it for me here, everybody. Hopefully you guys have a good weekend. And until next week, talk to you all next time.